This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Real Ann Croshaw is a highly sought-after speaker, having spoken at BYU Women's Conference and many community and church events on the subject of pornography, sexual addiction, and betrayal trauma recovery. She and her husband, Stephen, are the founders of SA Lifeline Foundation, a nonprofit foundation dedicated to providing individuals, couples, and families hope for recovery from sexual addiction and betrayal trauma through education, supporting 12-step recovery groups, encouraging spiritual guidance, and emphasizing qualified therapy. Rill graduated from Brigham Young University at the relatively young age of 58, where she earned a BS degree in family life. Uh, Rill has been married to Steve Croshaw for 46 years and is the proud mother of seven children and 26 grandchildren. And she also happens to be my mom. So I'm very excited to do this interview. It's a rare opportunity to be able to interview your own mom about uh, some tender experiences and a tender subject. So to start, what are some experiences that served as a foundation in the gospel in your early years? I'm the oldest of nine children, um, raised in Montana, and uh, my mother is a convert. Father was raised in the church. Um, Their experience being in Montana, uh, we had lots of different experiences in very small branches, uh, as usually the biggest family in any branch of maybe 30 people. and. So I began playing the piano when I was uh, 13 years old for our ward, our, our branch, which uh, really caused me to have to practice. <laughs> but um, music and the, the hymns were really important in my testimony. I think I was probably eight or nine um, when I remember feeling the Spirit through the hymns, particularly the sacrament hymns. And to this day, um, as a 66-year-old, <laughs> I remember uh, sitting in the cultural hall with our big family on the metal chairs in the old Bozeman um, church house and singing the hymns and hearing my mother's very strong alto and feeling her testimony of the gospel. Uh, her life had uh, in the church had not been easy, and I, I knew that. But I remember the hymns being probably where I really felt the Spirit and, and started to grow my testimony through the hymns. Which you passed to your children, and I am grateful. I hope so. <laughs> and and through, through the hymns, even as a primary child, um, I probably did not recognize how much those primary songs meant to me until I was older and in um, at a point in my life where I desperately needed the Spirit to help me. 
And those, some of those old primary songs were the ones that came to my mind as the thing, the songs that I would sing in my mind or even out loud. Um, I am thankful today for the sunshine, for the clouds of gray or blue, and uh, for within my heart is a song of joy. I'll live, I'll work, I'll do. Um, and it talks about being courageous, and I needed courage in my life. And that little primary song was what I would sing. Um, and I also sing to myself, I thank thee, dear Father, in heaven above. Some of those songs are really where I feel the Spirit. So let's fast forward several years and tell me a little bit about your courtship and we'll just call him dad. <laughs> of course he's dad. He's your dad. <laughs> your courtship. Well, I could call him Stephen or dad. We'll call him dad. Tell me a bit about your courtship with dad and your early impressions of him. Oh, I, I was happy as a Montana State University co-ed um, in music. I taught piano. Uh, my... My interest was definitely in teaching music, and uh, I was very active in the young single adult branch. And one Sunday, um, a couple of guys were visiting, and I didn't know who they were, and I really didn't pay much attention at all. <laughs> and um, in Sunday school, apparently, the story is that one of these guys followed me to Sunday school class, tried to figure out what my name was on the roll. And um, my name being very unique, <laughs> he couldn't figure it out. Uh, but Stephen uh, was very determined to become acquainted. And um, we had a short courtship. We met the first part of December. We were engaged by the end of December and then um, a couple of weeks later, he left to work in near Cincinnati, Ohio, many, many hundreds of miles from my home. <laughs> and uh, we were married at the end of March. And in that process, I, at that point, uh, was just 20. And I didn't think, I really had no intention of getting married I had thought about going on a mission and um, determined that I was plenty happy where I was. But as our courtship grew and we talked about marriage, I really took it to the Lord. I, I fasted, I prayed. I felt like I was in a, a humble spiritual place at that point in my life. Um, I was loving the scriptures and going to institute. And so I felt like I really did my due diligence on praying. And I felt like he was a man of goodness. I really believe that I felt that. And I know that I felt that. And so later on in my life, I started to wonder if I had not understood correctly, if I had just 
perceived him as this good person because of this as our story goes on. So when did you first realize something was amiss in your relationship? And when did you first become aware of his involvement with pornography and infidelity? Uh, as I look back, and we've been married now for 46 years, as I look back, I realized that I saw some red flags, but I had no idea what that meant. He was very determined in our courtship, and it was a short courtship. <laughs> However, as soon as we were married, he was very focused on his work um, and started traveling some and then started traveling a lot. I just felt that was the way it was, and um, we started having children, and I was very busy with the family, and he, he was very busy with his work. And, but it was early on that I felt the disconnect, but I didn't know what to t- uh, how to have any meaning to that. It was just the way it was. He, he wasn't nearly as interested <laughs> in the relationship as, I, as he had been in our courtship, and uh, very focused on his work. And so when did some of his behaviors uh, start coming to light for you? His behaviors didn't come to light for me. (laughs) He traveled a lot, and he was able to actually live quite a double life. And we had five children, you being the youngest of those five, Tara, (laughs) when... um, It was 14 years into our marriage when he told me one day he needed to talk to me and we took a drive and he told me about his sexual history. I was shocked. Uh, This was not the person that I thought I had married. And I didn't know what to do with that information. In that experience, I know that I went into shock. Um, as I look back now, I did not know what, how to deal with it. I think I became more concerned about him and his emotions and his distress over telling me than I was for myself. That's just the way it was. And um, the suggestion, the advice given to us from a very loving church leader, uh, Stephen was on the high council at the time, I was stake music chairman, um, was to for him to stop the behavior. Uh, there was some church discipline, and for me to love him and be a, a more connected couple. And I felt that was good advice. And I, I know it was, but it, it wasn't enough. But it was probably all that we could have at that point. It was many years ago. Nobody knew about sexual addiction. Um, and we all hoped that he would improve and just be better and do better. In your efforts to help, Mm -hmm. I remember you sitting all of us down after dad's second disfellowship and sharing a story with us about a pioneer woman who had carried her sick husband on a handcart because he could not make the journey himself. I, and I recall that very vividly. I know for a time 
you were trying to take the reins and trying to fix and kind of coercing <laughs> into therapy and mm-hmm. how how did that work out for you <laughs> and when did that start to change when you recognized that you couldn't fix this uh that was 10 years after the first disclosure so uh, it was 1997 it was the sesquicentennial of the pioneers and i had been reading pioneer stories um it was a great time I felt for me uh, in church history. I I related to the women who basically carried their families with their faith and physically across the plains. I have relatives who walked across the plains. I have a great great grandfather who came across the plains, um, and I just knew that I had that kind of grit in my DNA, <laughs> and so. I thought, he can't do this himself. We didn't, we didn't even understand what he was dealing with at that point. But we started to a little bit. But I felt like, we're going to fall apart. This whole family is going to not survive. <laughs> so I made the phone calls. I, I was a woman on a mission to find out what was going on here and if there was any way to take care of it, fix it. And so I made the phone calls for therapy. He was really, Stephen was really remorseful. And I felt that he did really want to change. But that second time in 97, I I had some really bitter feelings. Like, we've been working at this for a long time and nothing has changed. That didn't last too long. I mean, I was on my face bawling my eyes out many days quietly trying to keep it from you kids so we found some therapy uh he he went to a few a handful of 12-step meetings maybe four he didn't like them didn't feel like he fit in with those kind of people quote (laughs) and uh, so a year of therapy and i still felt uneasy but that's all we knew how to do at that point so what kept you moving forward in faith in these very difficult periods when you didn't know the outcome of your marriage? You were taking care of a number of small children and life was in chaos. What, what kept you moving forward? You know, much of that at that point was grit. I call it my Montana grit. Um, I had I have seen my parents, especially my mother, just work hard, and but it was also faith. I I do believe, and I've believed all along, that the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ is real, and I kept believing that even in this situation, it must work. It must work, but I. I couldn't see it making the change that my husband needed and that I needed in our marriage, that our family needed. Um, But I just kept hoping that there was going to be something happen that would mean that this will change. He'll get better. He will do better and and everything will be rosy. I don't think I was expecting Rosie, but I was expecting at least 
semi-normal, semi whatever normal is. <laughs> I think for a lot of women, it's fair to say that after that kind of betrayal from their husband, who is a priesthood holder, someone who they were sealed to in the temple, and also dealing with some leaders who didn't understand the issue and perhaps even enabled some of that behavior and weren't um, fully supportive of you and your needs. Um, did, did that betrayal of trust in your marriage and with other priesthood leaders affect your connection with God and your desire to be connected to the church? You know, I felt and I have felt all along that my priesthood leaders did the very best they knew how. I know there are many, many, many women who have not had that experience. But every one of my priesthood leaders has put their arms around me, at least emotionally, and said, I'm here to help you. But they didn't know how. Um, and so I have, I have not felt at all bitter towards any one of them. They just didn't know how to help. And um, so I think part of what I need to explain is that eight years after the second disclosure um, came the third disclosure. And this time Stephen had been arrested on August 25th of 2005, and he was able to keep that a secret for two weeks. On the night of September 11th, he determined that he had to come clean. He had to tell me, had to tell the bishop. On that day, that Sunday, I had a very different experience than the first two. The first one was shock. The second one was, dang, I'm I've got to do something about this. And the third one was, it was total surrender to God. And that experience was on the front lawn of our house on a Sunday morning. When he told me he'd been arrested for picking up a prostitute, and of course, this had been the case all along in our marriage. Um, this was not new. And I thought that day, this marriage is over. I can't do any more than I've done. And there on the front lawn, I literally turned my hands to heaven and looked upward and said, take him. I can't do this anymore. And it was, it was my moment of surrender to God's will. That day, I had no idea of what the future was going to look like. But as far as um, that betrayal, that betrayal has been very, very deep. There were times when, when we were going through this process because Stephen had been in two bishoprics, two high councils. He was really an example of a, a leader um, that many looked to. That type of hypocrisy really, really bothered me. So as I think back now, how many times I really, there were some times when I looked up at the leadership in front of me and wondered if I'm being duped by any of them also. And I had to set it aside. I, I had to set it aside and say, I don't know. 
and I can't determine, I, I can't figure it out. I've never been able to figure out why my husband did what he did. And he can't tell me, he can't make sense of it for me either. So learning to trust someone who has betrayed you, and, and sometimes women have this really hard time trusting any priesthood leadership because of what we call secondary trauma in the office of a priesthood leader. Because they're either given information or advice that is not helpful or really hurtful. And I've talked with thousands of women, and some, some of them have been given really hurtful advice. And my heart goes out to them. I'm grateful that I haven't um, felt that, but I know how it feels. I have a lot of empathy for women who have gone through that. So all through this time, one of the things that I have marveled at is that you, you never seem to blame God. You, you stay connected to God. In these times, like for instance, as you shared surrendering on the front lawn, and as you were trying to re- receive answers, what do I do with this? What were you getting from above? What kind mm-hmm. of revelation or direction well i didn't blame god but i did question i was like really wow i i'm i am certain that i got an answer to marry this person and i've really been trying to do the right things all along and this is what i get (laughs) i questioned and and yet i i wasn't angry I just was questioning, like, this is not exactly what we were told in young women would happen. <laughs> and, and so I, I would pray and pray um, and ask for some guidance. And I, I tend to be one of those that will, when I'm in a, when I'm in a place of, of, quandary and deep sadness I just pray and then I say please give me some answers and I'll open I just put my thumbs in my scripture and open and that has worked really well for me not all the time sometimes I keep reading and it's like well I'm I'm not finding it here (laughs) but I have um, one specific uh, scripture I have, and I put the dates by those scriptures when it is an answer, and I know it's an answer. And one of those is Mosiah 24. And 14 through about 21 is, was, and has been an answer. And I have five or three different dates, five years apart in that group of scriptures. And I know that the Lord has eased my burden. He didn't take it immediately, but he did ease my burdens. And I, I remember one day really being afraid that we didn't have enough money for food for you kids. And I really was on my knees pleading. And 
I walked out to the mailbox and there was a check from a business we had owned years before and there was an there was a, enough money just to take care of our needs and I knew that God knew that's what we needed and I thanked him I said wow this is a gift for for me this is a gift for my children and I I know that he knows me and I try to look for that every day and that that bit of gratitude that is um, one of the things that I really feel is important is to recognize God's hand in my life even in small ways try and find it every day that it's not just a gratitude journal it is his way of saying to me I know you and here is a gift for you. I love flowers. I love nature. And, and sometimes it's just a ray of sunlight that comes through the window just when I need it. And I say, thank you, God. That was for me. And I want him to know that I recognize it and, and thank him for it. How can I see his hand specifically in my life? That's really important. So you'd say that perhaps those those small tender mercies and gratitude was much of what held you over. Oh yeah, uh, the last time the it, around the third disclosure, there was a lot of questioning. I didn't know if I didn't know if the marriage would hold together. In fact, I figured it wouldn't after our history. But I was looking for some answers. Um, and I was looking for not just one day, it was weeks. I went to the temple, and in the temple, I asked, and it was, be grateful. That was the answer. And I was not in a good place to feel like be grateful was the right answer. Oh, I, now I remember. It was the words to count your many blessings. <laughs> See, another hymn comes to mind, and it was, count your many blessings, and I, wait, I don't think that's the answer. And I remember walking out of the temple and going, I don't think that's it. And then I asked for a blessing with, uh, for, from one of our priesthood leaders, and the entire blessing was, be grateful, count your blessings. I thanked him. I think I was gracious. But I went away from that thinking, oh, this is hard. This is a hard answer. And a few, maybe within a week later, I was continuing to ask, and I opened up my scriptures, and there it was. Be thankful in all things. And I still thought, wow, okay, I'm not sure but after three witnesses, I'm going to go with it just for today. And as I look back now, it was the answer, and it's still the answer. Be grateful in all things. Be thankful in all things. Um, it takes faith to do that. But one day at a time, okay, okay, I'll, be, I'll try and look for something to be thankful for today. And no one would have blamed you if you had packed your bags and called it quits. 
Oh, I thought about it. It was like, wow, this is time <laughs> sure to go. You did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. But I don't know how many times I have been grateful that you chose faith. And, and I think when we remember that God does see the big picture, of course, agency is always there. And dad could have chosen a different way. But I think that because God knew what he could be, if he would only choose to get honest and repent, that that real be grateful was great things are coming if you can hold on. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't just dad making a choice to recover and change. It was also a choice that you made to stick with a marriage and look at yourself and see what you could change in yourself so that you could make this marriage work. I am so grateful that you chose faith. And when I was there that Sunday afternoon, when dad disclosed about his arrest and his excommunication, um, watching you and how you, you were quiet and you were teary, but you were not angry. And my thought was, if my mom can even consider giving this man a second chance. I have to be willing to forgive him because her pain and her hurt is so much more poignant than mine as much as I felt hurt. But the way that you responded to that instructed me on how I needed to respond. That was a long road of forgiving dad because there was so much betrayal. Talk about how you've been able to forgive and more importantly, develop trust in him again. Well, you probably didn't see the anger. I'm no angel, that's for sure. And um, there were angry times when I, I just didn't want to stay. But I would give it another day. And I, it, it's been really interesting. So many people think that I stayed maybe out of a weakness or like I couldn't make a choice different. And that's not true at all. If he hadn't done everything that it takes to make the changes, I wouldn't have been able to stay. I wouldn't have been able to be true to myself. And in the last 14 years, it's been coming on 14 years, he's really worked hard and he continues to work hard to build, rebuild the trust. Rebuilding the trust is really important. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is between me and God. But trust is earned. And when it's broken, it has to be re-earned one little drop at a time. And so I determined 14 years ago that I would watch, and I would watch carefully what he did to make the changes that are important. And we started to to get the real tools that we needed. We started to get really qualified therapy who knew what what we needed, both Stephen and and me. That was important. He actually started going to 12-step that first week and has not stopped in 14 years. I go to my own 12-step meetings for my healing from betrayal trauma. Those experiences, and and that experience for me, 
working 12 steps uh, has changed the way I see my life and the way I see life in general. It has deepened my spiritual connection by working 12 steps. And I know it has deepened Stevens as well. We, we have worked hard to recover and heal, but you can't work hard enough for the healing that comes from the atonement of Jesus Christ. It is there. His grace is there. And so I've learned how to give over to my father and to the love of the Savior. I always thought that the atonement of Jesus Christ was solely for our sins. I have recognized that it has, it truly is not only for my sins. It is to heal me from trauma and pain that I cannot heal myself from. And what that means for me is to give my will to him. I can't work hard enough to make that happen, uh, although I'm a pretty determined person. Uh, that grit only takes me so far. The grace of Jesus Christ is what heals. And I could not fix it for my husband. I cannot fix it for my children or grandchildren as much as I love them. It is something that we all learn, if we choose to, to come to ourselves and give my will over to the will of the Father and the, our, my Savior. Both you and Dad have been working recovering, as you have been talking about, for almost 14 years now. What are some key lessons you've learned in that time frame, and what has maybe surprised you in this time period? Well, I'll tell you that today, I actually, at lunch, your dad comes in after mowing the, <laughs> the grass and trimming, and he, he just looks like a farmer. And I love that. He's, uh, he works hard. And we sat at lunch, and I felt a great deal of love and appreciation for him. And I, I told him, I said, I feel very blessed to have you in my life. It's 46 years of marriage, and we've been through a lot. And a little later on, he took my hand and with tears in his eyes said, you're awesome. That surprises me. So that kind of connection that we have now, in spite of where we've been, surprises me. And I'm so grateful for it. What I've learned is that you can live an amazing life one day at a time. I was the uh, epitome, maybe not the epitome, of the planning woman 40 years ago. I had my life's goals written out. I had my five-year goals. I had my monthly goals. I had, yes, I was the planner. <laughs> with the leather-bound planner in hand. When Stephen came forward the first time, I could no longer plan my life. I put that leather-bound planner away. I couldn't use it. And on Sunday, I would take a piece of paper and, and put the days of that week on there, and then I would put 
the things that needed to, that I needed to remember. That is how I've been planning for all these years. And that way, I've given much more of my life over to God and said, what is it that you want me to do now? And one day at a time, not one of us has more than that. I cannot guarantee anything. So the thing that I've learned is how to be present. Now, being present is hard for me because I was always thinking ahead what needed to be done and how fast can I do this project so that I can get on with the next one. It's been a very challenging situation for me to learn to just be present. Feel in the present moment. Appreciate, be grateful in the present moment. Hear people, see people, and, and be present in that moment. That's been hard and it's been really important for me. And part of that is learning to be grateful for the present moment. Um, the other thing that I have learned is how important boundaries are. When you have anyone in your life who has an addiction, it's critical that there are healthy boundaries. Without those, people are not safe. And so I've learned the importance of boundaries and that boundaries are because we love ourselves, we love God, and we love other people. But the way that I must set a boundary is with God at my center, not out of manipulation or fear or control or anger. I, don't, I must not set boundaries because that's not a true healthy boundary. Boundaries are based on love of God, love of myself, and love of uh, another person. I, I think of the, the statement, what would Jesus do? And I think of the scriptures where the Savior went to cleanse the temple. And he took the time to make a scourge, a whip. And then he went back and cleansed the temple. In my mind, during that time, as he was making the whip, he was determining and praying. This is just me thinking. He took the pause. And he went away and asked, how can I do the will of my father? And what's the appropriate thing here? That's the way I desire to hold, set and hold boundaries. To go away when I know something is off, when it's wrong, take the pause, say a prayer, get clear with myself and God, and then go back with the boundary that God has helped me to set, then there's safety. And I also have choice with that boundary. My own personal boundaries, the things that are best for me to keep myself safe, and boundaries in, in a marriage are critical. They actually have really blessed our relationship. Well, if this had been on video, you would have seen me wiping away a few tears. As many times as I've heard this story, it's, it's sometimes uh, painful briefly to rem remember some of those dark days. But the amount of gratitude that I feel, I have been so blessed as I have watched your journey and dad's journey. And I believe in miracles because of you and dad. And I believe 
in the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ to bring us from very dark, messy places. But the final question that I want to ask, and you've had plenty of reasons, Mom, to say, I'm out of here. Plenty of reasons to to perhaps feel justified in saying, I'm jumping ship. But why are you still rowing and choosing faith in the Church of Jesus Christ? I'm still rowing because I know that Jesus Christ is rowing with me. Tara's not the only one who has tears here. <laughs> but it, to, to make it short is, I believe. I know that there have been miracles. There is no doubt. Uh, not just a few, but many, many miracles. And as I work with others, I see miracles in their lives. And so I know that God loves every single one of us. And if we'll just look, if we'll just see it, there are miracles everywhere. There are no coincidences. Now, it may take some time for that burden to be lifted. And it did for me. But I have learned that one day at a time can make a marvelous life. And I have thought many times, how am I right now? Do I have a roof over my head? Do I have enough food? And can I take care of my little children? And it was always, yes, it's okay right now. I don't know what it looks like next week or next year. As I've learned to, to recognize this one day at a time, that God gives us gifts. So my, my belief is he knows and loves me. My spiritual connection is deeper and more intimate with God and my Savior than it ever has been. That is truly a gift, but it's a gift that I've desired. We keep working at it one day at a time and be grateful in this very present moment. Well, thank you, Mom. Thank you, it's Tara. It's been a pleasure to be with you, and I'm sure each of you can tell I am a very blessed girl to have such a mom. So thanks again for your time. Thanks, today, Tara. Mom. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.